0: The Bible is awesome. It is God communicating with us. And that is that should, that should like amaze you as much as it amazes me. It, the Bible, it's God communicating with us. It's a pretty awesome thing to try to wrap your head around. But even as people of the book, I think we have to be honest and admit that a lot of the Bible is kind of confusing and a lot of parts of the bible are kind of weird and we read through it and like some of the verses seem to be pro-violence or pro-slavery or anti-women or anti-science like it goes against science or it seems to be like really narrow oh there's only one way to get to god and it's this exact specific way And that can be confusing to us, even if we are Bible believers. And I think the answer for us as Christians is not to look at these confusing passages and just throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, and just, okay, forget it. It's just too hard, the whole Bible must be garbage because I don't understand that part. And the answer is also not for us to say, well, I'm just gonna just accept it as it is and if God hates women, so be it. You know, then that's just the way it is. I think the answer is to really dig in and to really try to understand what the Bible is really trying to say to us, and seeing if maybe with a little effort, maybe it can make more sense than we thought, even even the hard parts. And so we're going to engage the brains that God gave us, and we're going to help each other, and we're going to look for all the help that we can get understanding this amazing book. Um, And one of the sources... That we're going to be using for that help is this other really cool book called How Not to Read the Bible. Written by a guy named Dan Kimball. Really super good book. Um, You can get it on Kindle. You can get it anywhere where you buy books. Um, And also today, if you brought a visitor with you today. If you are a visitor, I don't care about you. But if you brought brought a visitor today for the first time, if you'll stop at the Connection Center, they will give you a copy of this book. We really want you to have this thing in your hands. It's, it's, this is a really, I said it last week, a really great shovel to help us dig the truth out of scripture and particularly these, these difficult scriptures. And a lot of what I'm gonna be teaching these next few weeks is basically right out of this book and especially what we're calling the four rules of engagement. These are four rules to remember when you're really trying to understand what the Bible is really trying to say to us, especially the hard part. So here's the rules. Number, number one, the Bible is a library and not a book. Number two, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. Number three, never read a Bible verse by itself. We have to read it in context. And number four, as we're finding out what that context is and what the big overall story is, we need to remember that it's all about Jesus. And this book is going to be a lot of help for us as we're doing this, but we have available to us even better help. We have even a greater resource than this book, and that is the Holy Spirit in us. Because we really believe that the Bible is God communicating with us, and that's, that's a supernatural experience. That's not just like an intellectual exercise or something that we think through, but this is a, a supernatural thing. The Bible is a supernatural book inspired by a supernatural God, and so we should ask for a supernatural help to understand it. So let's pray before we dig in, okay? Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for choosing to communicate with us. And God, we know that we have your amazing written word right in our hands, right on our phones, right on our tablets. We have your amazing written word, but we also have in our hearts, inside of us, in our spirits, we have your holy living word because we have the spirit of Christ living in us. And so we have your word in us and we have your word in front of us. And so what we're asking for now is for you to help us sync them up, right? Just help us miraculously understand something that's probably too hard for us to understand on our own. We don't want to just read this so that we know more stuff. We want to we know you. We want to understand you. So God, I just ask that you would just help us to really focus and understand. Help me not to say anything that gets in the way of that. We, we want to hear from you today. So open us up as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So one of the common criticisms of Christians uh, is what the author of this book, Dan Kimball, calls cherry picking. And that is, like, if what I'm reading in the Bible doesn't make sense to me, or if it doesn't say what I want it to say, that's okay, because it's a really fat book, right? And all I got to do is turn to another place, and I'll find something that does make sense to me and does, do you guys ever do that? You ever cherry pick? Just be honest, man, come on. You're in church for crying out loud. (laughs) I've done it. I do it all the time, right? So I'm reading this passage in Genesis, and it's about Abraham, and God tells him, take all these animals and cut them in half and split them and lay them out and make a little trail and walk through that trail, and that will seal the covenant that we have together. (laughs) It's like, what the heck is it, right? Uh, Here's Moses' wife circumcising her baby son with a rock. Think that over and using the foreskin to dab blood on Moses' toes so that God won't kill him. What the heck? right? What is that? What is that? And so what I do is I just turn over to the other part, right? Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> uh, give me some of that. Nothing is impossible with God. I can read that. I can understand. Give me some Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. I can understand that. And so I, I do a little cherry picking and, and, and maybe you do too. And I can see why non-believers criticize the cherry picking especially when we start cherry-picking the rules. When we start cherry-picking all the laws in the Bible and all the stuff that's banned in the Bible, it can be really confusing. Like, cutting sideburns is banned in the Old Testament, but it's okay now. But murder is banned in the Old Testament, and it's still banned. Adultery, stealing, why is some stuff still banned and some stuff isn't banned anymore, and so what a critic would say is, well, you Christians, you just pick through and take the ones that you like. And so anytime we say, well, you know, the Bible is for this or the Bible is against that, critics love to call that hypocrisy. And they'll say, like, you know, you say the Bible speaks against gay marriage. Yeah, well, that also speaks against eating shrimp. Right? And you know what's hard? It does. Um, here's Leviticus 11.10. You must never eat animals from the sea or rivers that don't have both fins and scales. They're detestable to you. This applies to both the little creatures that live in shallow water, crawfish etouffee, (laughs) right? And to all the creatures that live in the deep water, like lobster and shrimp. Oh, and you know what else? Catfish have fins but not scales, so when I say, well, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't have sex outside of a biblical marriage, but I say that over lunch at the branch. And for lunch, I'm having the catfish and shrimp platter. Right? So am I a hypocrite? Am I just cherry-picking the laws that I like and that I don't like? Because there's a bunch of them. And it's not, just, it's not just shrimp. There's a lot of weird laws and rules and bans in the Bible. In fact, we're gonna play a little game today because the women are gone and we can do what we want, right? Uh, So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna throw out some laws, and these all come from Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and then you guys respond, okay? And so if it's a law that kind of makes sense, then you can just all say in unison, praise the Lord. Let me hear you say praise the Lord very good and if it's something that's crazy or confusing or weird to you then instead of saying praise the Lord you'll say what the heck let me hear you say what the heck, what the heck? okay so it's one or the other here's the first rule each of you should show respect to your mother and father the Lord. that's a good one right do not steal or deceive or cheat each other the Lord. awesome do not have sex with your uncle's wife the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> yeah do not cook a goat in its mother's milk What the heck? Do not mark your skin with tattoos. Praise uh, uh, praise the heck. Uh, What what the Lord? Uh, A woman who is suspected of adultery must drink dirty water so she can't have babies anymore. (laughs) If someone has a bodily discharge... They're unclean, so don't let them in church or touch them or touch their clothes or their bed, and if you do, you're unclean. What the heck is that? No cutting your sideburns or beard ever. What the heck? If somebody has a scabby sore on their head or chin, they're unclean, don't let them in the church. Okay, this, this, is, this is for you, loudmouth. Okay, Richard, <laughs> Mr. Texas gun rights over here. Here you go, Richard. Let's, let's, let's just let Richard handle this one, okay? If a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house at night, and he is struck and killed in the process, the person who killed the thief is not guilty of murder. Okay. Verse 3, But if it happens in the daylight... The one who killed the thief is guilty of murder. What the heck? That'll never fly in Texas, right? How about this? If a man and a woman are caught in an affair, they should be stoned to death. (laughs) Mixed response, okay. Uh, Here's a good one. Don't bring a tree into your house and decorate it with silver and gold. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, that's what it says. Uh, here's my favorite. Now, I'm going to tell you guys, you are so blessed to go to this church. I, I, I praise the Lord. This, I guarantee you, there is no other church on the planet that has ever read this same verse twice in one year. Here it comes, Deuteronomy 25, 11. If two Israelite men get into a fight, and the wife of one tries to rescue her husband by grabbing the testicles of the other man you must cut off her hand. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the heck. <laughs> like, so in general, I think we can say, what the heck, right? I mean, how do we, how do we make sense of this stuff? And here's a good rule. Whenever, the, whenever you read a passage in the Bible and your response is what the heck, then remember our rules of engagement, right? The Bible's a library, it's not a book it's 66 books it's written by more than 40 people and it's it's all kinds of books law books and history books and poetry books and story books and it's written over 1500 years in three different languages and all kinds of cultures multiple genres like poetry and stories and discourse I'm going to show you an illustration kind of addition Matt can you show that picture of the bookshelf? So. Um, these things that I just read from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, this is showing kind of the different kinds of books in the Bible and how they're kind of grouped up. So looking at that, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, what, is that Old Testament or New Testament? That's Old Testament. And then would you say, what, what kind of book would you say that is? It's a law, it's a law book. And so the next rule of engagement, it's written for us, but it wasn't written to us. So who were these laws written to Yeah, they were into the Israelites. They were given to God's people. They left slavery in Egypt, right? And they're gonna, they've been 400 years they've been slaves in Egypt. This is all of Abraham's family, all the Jews, and they're now leaving Egypt, and they're going into the promised land. They're going into Canaan, and they're gonna go into this new world, this new promised land, and he's giving them rules to show them how to live a life that honors him in this new land. Rule number three, you can't just grab one verse. Out of context, you have to see where this particular passage, all of these laws, where do they fit in the great big story? And then rule number four, that story is about Jesus. And that really particularly makes sense in this because Jesus was going to come through this family, right? God was going to bring Jesus through the Jews, and so they needed to be pure, and they needed to be special, and they needed to be distinct and different. They, they needed to be holy, That's the word. Leviticus 19, 2 says, You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so he's sending them into a place where they're going to be surrounded by people that worship other gods, and these people do horrible things like temple prostitution and child sacrifice. And God wanted his people to be a light in that darkness. And he wanted those surrounding people that are living in darkness to see the light in his people and see him through them. He wanted his people to impact those people, not the other way around. He didn't want his people to be influenced by these pagan cultures that they're gonna be surrounded by. So over and over and over, God says, stay away from them and don't do the stuff that they do and don't worship their gods or you're just gonna get sucked right into their fake religion. And so in Exodus, there's a few verses that kind of say the same thing. Uh, The first one says, you must not worship the gods of these nations or serve them in any way or imitate their evil practices. The next one says, You must not live in their land, or they must not live in your land, or they will cause you to sin against me. If you serve their God, you'll be caught in the trap. You're going to get sucked into idolatry and worshiping these false gods. Uh, Exodus 34 15 says, Don't even make treaties with them. Like, don't even hang around these people. So God wants his people to be distinct. He wants his people to be um, different. He wants his people to be called out and separate and holy. And so that kind of makes sense. That's why we have the rules, so that they can look different than the other people. But why such weird, like, arbitrary rules, right? And if you're going to make food a sin, why not liver, right? (laughs) How about cauliflower? Start a religion and make cauliflower a sin. Just watch them line up for that. Not, Not shrimp. Like, how did he decide that? If God was going to say, I'm going to separate you, this group of people, my people are going to be separate from everybody else because these little people are going to follow these little rules and they're going to not eat certain foods, what, how did he pick? How did he decide what the rules were going were to be? These rules seem random, right? They seem arbitrary. They seem weird to us, but they probably didn't seem weird to the people that they were written to. Remember, this is written for us. It was not written to us. And to the people it was written to, these laws probably didn't make, they probably made more sense than they do to us. And we have talked about this before. When these laws were written, they probably did make sense to these people in this time, in this place, in this culture. a couple months ago, we talked about some of the funny laws that we have now in the United States. Like in Kentucky, it's illegal to carry ice cream in your back pocket. In Rhode Island it's illegal to throw pickle juice on a trolley. In Maryland, it's illegal to mistreat an oyster. In Texas, you can get married by proxy. Legally. Just in case like you're busy fishing and you can't <laughs> make you can't make it to the wedding. So these laws make like no sense to me now, but they may have made a lot more sense when they were written to the people in Kentucky and Rhode Island and Maryland and Texas. In the book, in fact, uh, Dan gives a really funny example of a law in Arizona that supposedly is still on the books that is illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub, (laughs) right? And now we're saying, what the heck? Um, so, apparently, back in the day, there was some man that kept his donkey in a bathtub and there was a flood, uh, and so there was like a big, like a mudslide, and I guess this bathtub was like crashing through the donkey, it was, you know, it was going through the town and causing all this damage and havoc everywhere, and so now all the people had to come out and try to rescue this donkey from this mud pit, and a bunch of people died or whatever, and so the people said, okay, you know what, never again. Never again. We're gonna make it a law. From now on, starting now, no donkeys in bathtubs. And so people in that town at that time probably thought that law made perfect sense. And in the same way, some of these laws in the Old Testament probably made sense to those people at that time, in that place, in that culture. like like a lot of the dietary laws, a lot of these laws are about what not to eat, right? But again, who was it written to? It was written to people that are traveling across the desert, and I have to say, if I was God, right, and I'm making the rules, and I'm trying to keep these people alive in the desert, and they don't have refrigeration, right, and they don't have trucks, and they don't have Yeti coolers or whatever, not eating pork is probably not a bad idea, right? And like shrimp and lobster, I mean, they're pretty far from the nearest ocean, right? Let me ask you a quick question. Would you buy fresh shrimp on the side of the road in Corpus Christi? I would, I have, right? Would you buy fresh shrimp on the side of the road in Dallas? Ooh, I wanna see the truck that it came in, right? I wanna see the refrigeration. Would you buy fresh shrimp on the side of the road in Wyoming? (laughs) I don't think so, right? How about Egypt 3,000 years ago, right? I mean, maybe that's not that bad a law that they can't eat shrimp, that they can't eat lobster. And these laws about being unclean, like you can't come in the temple if you're unclean and you're unclean if you have a skin disease. You're unclean if you have a bodily discharge You're you're unclean if you have a sore on your head or if you touched a dead body. You can't come to church if any of those things are true about you. And I'm guessing that those laws were about health stuff, right? I mean, they're trying to prevent a pandemic. We could have used some of these laws recently, right? (laughs) If, If anyone has COVID, they're unclean for eight days or whatever it is. Don't come to church until that's over. So some of these really weird sounding laws to us may have made perfect, even practical sense to them. And then some of these laws were just to keep God's people holy and, and distinct and different and separate from the nations around them. So a couple of them, like um, tattoos. That got mixed response a while ago, right? Do um, so you guys know my tattoo story? A couple years ago, I decided I was gonna get two tattoos. I was gonna get one on this arm, and it was gonna have the word nothing, And the verse, John 15, five. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And then on this arm, I was gonna get Philippians 4.13 and the word everything, because the Bible says that through Christ, I can do everything. And these tattoos are gonna be a great reminder to me that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. And through Christ, I can do everything. I thought it was a really pretty cool idea, but I didn't do it. Instead, I got these bracelets. (laughs) And you know why? It's not, it's not a religious objection, just too expensive, <laughs> just too expensive, and my friend Marty, who has a lot of tattoos, told me a lesson that I always try to live by. He said, a good tattoo is not cheap, and a cheap tattoo is not good, <laughs> right, so I, that's what I kind of thought, okay, here's, here's Leviticus nineteen twenty. it says, do not mark your skin with tattoos, and so I always thought, well, you know, that's probably like a health deal, because there probably weren't a lot of clean, safe tattoo parlors in the Near East uh, 3,000 years ago. But as I'm doing a little research, it turns out that the Canaanites, the people in the area around where they were going to live, like to tattoo the names of their gods all over their bodies as an act of worship. So when he's saying to the Israelites, don't get tattoos, what he's probably saying was, look, in your culture, in your world, in your time, tattoos are a way to worship false gods. So don't do that. I told you, not to imitate their practices or you will get sucked in to idolatry. So it's kind of fun to try to like figure out the practical side of why these, and like this one about the goats, right? Do not eat a goat cooked in its mother's milk. That that might be the weirdest verse in the Bible, right? And so most people think that eating a baby goat cooked in its mother's milk was some sort of heathen like fertility ritual. Like this was a way to make nice with the fertility gods, right? If you, eat a, if you eat a baby goat cooked in its mother's milk, then you'll be able to have babies or whatever. But again, this is God saying, look, don't, don't get sucked into that stuff, man. Don't get sucked into worshiping false gods. Don't, don't eat a baby goat cooked in its mother's milk. So most of these laws probably made more sense to them then than they do to us, now, but it's fun to kind of try to figure out the reasoning behind them. So some of it was practical stuff, probably health reasons. Some of it was reminders about how holy God is and that if we're going to approach him, we should do everything we can to like make ourselves um, clean enough or or righteous enough to approach him, so that's why we do the sacrifices and we wear the right clothes and we eat the right foods and we don't touch dead stuff. Some of it was practical stuff. Some of it was reminders about how holy God is. And then some of it was just to separate God's people, just to make them different, to make them distinct, so to make God's people and, and their worship of the true God different than the surrounding nations and their worship of false gods. There's a lot about that. Right? A lot of this is about separation. In fact, there's a lot of verses, a lot of really weird laws about not mixing stuff together. If you read, especially in Leviticus, like um, don't let an ox work with a donkey. What the heck, right? Why, why, why? Don't weave a wool and linen together to make your clothes. Don't mix them. Don't mix an ox and a donkey. Don't mix linen and wool. Don't mix breeds of cattle together. Don't plant two different crops together. Don't eat beef and chicken fajitas together. (laughs) Right? I made that one. Um, And that, all the, what, that? that seems weird to me, right? All this stuff. But you know what I think it was? I think that was like an illustration for them. I think that was like a reminder for them not to commingle themselves for them not to be mixed in and tangled up with the heathen nations around them. They were supposed to be separate. They were supposed to be called out. They were supposed to be set apart. They were supposed to be distinct. They were supposed to be holy. So it's fun to look at these laws. They make no sense to us in our time and realize these are Old Testament laws. So they're written for us, but they're not written to us. They're for us. They're for us because we can learn from them. I mean, the important big picture lesson, you know, yeah, as God's people, we need to be distinct and different and separate and called out and holy so that people can see Jesus in us and not the other way around. And so that we we shouldn't just blend into our world and live like pagans. But does that necessarily mean we shouldn't eat shrimp? No. That Old Testament law was written for us, but not to us. And we talked about this really several weeks ago. Remember we gave away bacon at the door? We were talking about the law, or we still under the law, and we passed out bacon at the door, and that helped us remember that message about the law. And then, I mean, what a great church, right? <laughs> Praise Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we passed out jelly donuts to help us remember our message about sanctification. What a great church, and I know some of you are wondering If we're gonna be passing out grilled bacon-wrapped cheese-stuffed shrimp brochettes today, (laughs) guess what? Today, as you leave, that is not gonna happen. (laughs) Uh, Just too expensive, so look at the picture. Use your imagination. All right, so. Should we follow the Old Testament laws? And if so, which one should we follow? And are we hypocrites if we ask people to follow some of the laws, but we don't follow all of the laws? And again, remember the rules here. These laws are one part of a whole library of books that were originally written for us, but not to us. We gotta read them in context and how this all fits into the one big story that's gonna eventually lead us to Jesus. All of these laws, all these sacrifices, all these processes is part of the story. And that story is all about Jesus. And, and this is the key. This is the key to understand, because people have asked for generations, right? Well, which laws do we have to still keep and which ones don't apply anymore? And the key is understanding this is all part of one story and that story that le- leads us to Jesus. So a lot of these laws in the Old Testament were about this system of sacrifices. So the priest in the temple or in the tabernacle would kill a sheep or kill a goat uh, and that would cover the sins of God's people and that would make them clean enough and that would make them pure enough to approach God. And part of that system were all these rules about keeping ceremonial, ceremonially clean. If you weren't clean, then you couldn't go into the temple. So you couldn't be part of that if you had eaten the wrong foods or if you had worn the wrong clothes or if you had a scab on your head or if you touched a dead pig. And all of those things meant you were unclean and you couldn't go into the temple. And that law, all of those laws, were like beating into the heads on our own. We are not pure enough to approach God because all of us have a scab on our head, right? All of us have broken one of these laws. And this whole idea of of being made pure enough so that we can approach God is leading us in the story to the coming of Jesus. That's why it's in there. It's getting us ready. That we're in this part of the story right now, but this story is gonna lead us to Jesus. So all this stuff about getting clean enough, being pure enough, being righteous enough so that you can approach God, that's, that's, in, that's how they were doing it. That's getting us ready for the really big, important thing that Jesus was gonna come and he was gonna be a better priest and he was gonna be a better temple. And he was gonna be a perfect final sacrifice. And he was gonna make us pure and he was gonna make us holy permanently. So that we didn't need blood or altars or the laws anymore. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, he didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to take the law away. He came to fulfill the law. In Hebrews 10, 19, it says, we don't have to do that stuff anymore. We don't have to make ourselves clean enough to approach God because Jesus gave us a new way to become clean enough to approach God, a better way to be sanctified and holy and good enough. So the ceremonial laws about purifying yourself with the right food and the right clothes, they're they're not necessary anymore. In Mark 7, 19, Jesus actually says that now all food is acceptable. Praise Jesus, right? All food is now acceptable. And he kind of, not just that law, he kind of, if you think about the stories you've read about Jesus, he kind of thumbed his nose at lots of those Old Testament cleanliness laws. Like he touched people with skin diseases. You can't do that. He touched dead people. You can't do that. He worked on the Sabbath. You can't do that. That's Jesus saying, look, you don't need your diet or your clothes or your sacrifices or all these laws to make you holy and clean and pure enough to approach God because I took care of all that for you. I haven't come to get rid of the law. I haven't come to, get to, to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. The law's fulfilled in me. So the ceremonial laws are no longer necessary to make us clean enough and righteous enough and holy enough and pure enough to approach God. But the basic moral laws about what's right and what's wrong that are taught in the law, well, those things are still in effect. Like, loving your neighbor as yourself. We all know Jesus said that, right? But when Jesus said that, he was quoting Leviticus. You see what he's doing there? He's saying, yeah, that, that one still counts. Right, that one still counts. So all of these moral laws like Loving your neighbors yourself and taking care of poor people and sexual purity and no stealing and no murder and your commitment to family, those are still in effect because those reflect the character of God. And God created us to be his image. And that's why lots of the moral laws are repeated again in the New Testament. In fact, in this book, um, Dan Kimball uses a great quote from Tim Keller, and I'm telling you as your pastor, don't ever read or watch videos from Tim Keller because he is so much smarter than me, you're gonna be so disappointed when you come to church the following week. Look at this great quote. He says, the coming of Christ changed how we worship, but not how we live. The coming of Jesus, so we got got these, these ceremonial laws about how to worship, and you gotta be clean, and no skin, and no blood, blah, blah, blah. We got all those ceremonial laws, and then we got these moral laws about just how to live your life, and he says, when Jesus came, that changed how we worshiped but it doesn't change how we live. So we don't have to avoid shrimp or haircuts and we can wear clothes of blended fabrics and we can go to church with a sore on our chin. Those are ceremonial laws that Jesus has already fulfilled. But sexual sin is still sin. And disregarding the poor is still sin and stealing and murder is still sin and we're still we're still commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. The coming of Christ changed the way we worship but not how we live. So here's a sidebar. What about the punishments, right? Because you've read, I mean, it's pretty rough, right? In the Old Testament, there's a lot of eye gouging, right? There's a lot of hand cutting off. There's a lot of uh, stoning people to death. So we're saying, well, yeah, that moral law still exists in the Old Testament and it still exists in the New Testament, but the penalty seems to have changed, right? So what's up with that? Because in the Old Testament you have an affair, you're stoned to death. Right, And in the New Testament, Paul says sexual sinners, if they won't repent, kick them out of the church. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's a different penalty, right? That's a different penalty. So why the penalty change? Let me just ask you this question. If someone commits adultery, should they be stoned to death? <laughs> Depends on who you ask, right? <laughs> if you're the victim of that, you probably say, yeah, I'd say stone them. I mean, it's what the heck. Uh, So remember, rule number two, right? This is written for us. So that law that says don't commit adultery is written, it's written for us. So listen, don't commit adultery, okay? Um, But it's not written to us. It was written to a specific people in a specific time, in a specific place, and those people were living in a theocracy, right? God's people, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, God's people were living in a theocracy. They were a nation, right? They were a state. So breaking God's laws were punishable by the state. It was like civil. It was like, it's criminal offense, right? So for example, if you blaspheme God, so you trash talk God, then y- y- you go to court. And if you're found guilty, well, you're gonna go to jail or you're gonna be stoned to death or something. It's, 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 it's criminal. It's a criminal offense because it's a, it's a theocracy. So the government is executing the sentence. But in the New Testament, the gospel's not just for one nation it's not just for one one people it's not just not it's not just for one state it's for everybody the gospel is no longer just a single nation it's a worldwide church uh, and, and it covers lots of different countries and lots of different governments and lots of different people so the new testament church handles unrepentant sin now by exhortation right not by criminal charges now we handle it by encouraging people to change. And if they just will don't if they just won't, if somebody says, Well, I'm gonna commit adultery and there's nothing you can do about it, then they might get kicked out of the church. But they're not gonna be stoned to death. So the death that really threatens them is eternal death, right? It's separation from God. And that punishment can only be stopped by the grace and mercy and forgiveness that we have in Jesus. So you guys doing okay? We're gonna find out. We'll take a test. Okay, I'm going to give you two questions. If everybody passes, we'll dismiss. (laughs) If not, I mean, we're going all the way back, okay? So focus on your answers. Question number one, are we still under the ceremonial laws about being made pure by what we wear, what we eat, not touching dead stuff, having bodily discharges, or scabs on our head, are we still under the ceremonial law? Good answer. Now the hard one. Are we still bound to the moral law about living lives that honor God by loving each other and helping the poor and sexual purity and being committed to our families and no stealing and no murder? Are we still bound to the moral law? Okay, done. And and you know what? Jesus even simplified it for us. Right? In Matthew 22, they asked Jesus, well, look, you got a bunch of laws here, man. Which ones matter? Right? Rank them for me. One, two, three. The descending order of preference. Right? Which, which is the important laws and which are the least important laws? Jesus has a great answer. This is Matthew 22:37. 37. Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. I love this verse. The entire law And all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. We can fulfill every rule that matters to Jesus if we really love and trust God with everything that we have and we really love each other like he loves us. Amen? Okay, let's pray. God, thank you for your word and thank you for helping us um, supernaturally to see that your word matters, that it's you communicating with us and it's an opportunity for us to know you more and experience you in a more profound way. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book that Dan Kimball wrote It's helping us to dig the truth out of scripture. And I just ask that as we move forward with this thing, even if we're talking about controversial stuff or really difficult stuff or hard stuff, that you'll just cover us with your unity and your grace and your kindness and your mercy and your love. And you'll just give us discernment and wisdom so that we can really understand what your word is really trying to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, super quick. If you're visiting with us, man, if it's your first time especially, I would just love to talk to you. If you'll go back, we got a little kiosk back there and if you'll stop at the first-timers booth and fill out a card, then I'll just give you a call this week or a text or something. Just take a second. I'd just love to say thanks for coming to church. If you brought someone to church today for their first time, if you go back there, they will give you a free book. God bless you guys. Have a great week.